Okay. Welcome to Progressive News Network, our Sunday show. Uh, my name is Janine Moloff. I am the executive producer and your host. Now, we have a lot of things going on today, uh, and I'm just going to get straight into it. If you saw our advert, it says PNN, that's our acronym, Progressive News Network, with Janine Moloff, that's me, and Rick Spizak. And Rick is actually the founder of PNN. He was the driving force that back in 2000, those of you that were adults remember it, when W did the real, you know, George W. Bush did the real election theft, putting a halt, having the Supreme Court put a halt to reading the ballots in Florida. Rick was one of the few media voices on the ground that was trying to get the true story. You know, all that hanging chad crap. Uh, frankly, I, I watched that, all that nonsense here in St. Louis with absolute dismay. I, I just thought, even if that little piece of chad is hanging, you can tell that's what the person actually picked. But once again, you know, this is what we were watching. So Rick is going to be with us today. The advert, uh, the headline says, Road Decision Implications for All of Us. Now, keep in mind, the Roe decision was leaked out this, from the Supreme Court that the conservatives of the court have, you know, basically crafted a decision that will overturn Roe. And those of you that believe Roe is strictly an abortion decision, well, you're misinformed. Roe was actually predicated on the idea that there was a constitutional right to privacy. And through that right to privacy, all these other rights, such as the right to contraception, the right to abortion, yes, the right to gay marriage, the right to actually have gay sex, the right to, you know, uh, inter, uh, interracial marriage, and so on. And so all these things came into play under that right to privacy. So reversing Roe has dire implications for a lot of people, particularly if you are not a white, cisgendered Christian male or a subservient white woman. I'm just going to put it out there. If you don't like it, you don't have to listen. So today we have two stories, and Rick had the delight, he really had the, the, the privilege of interviewing longtime human rights activist Meredith Ackman. Now, Meredith has been a driving force for women's rights, Planned Parenthood, and the LGBTQ community. She's also the chair of the Palm Beach Human Rights Council and as well as being an experienced political campaign operative. So that's Rick's interview right there. That's our first story. Now, our second story is also about the pending road decision, the GOP stonewalling, and how the very real implications are already being felt by minorities even before the SCOTUS decision has finally been handed down. Privacy rights of all types are being attacked by courts and by the police. Just recently, and this is two of the stories I'm going to focus on, there in Tennessee, there was a young trans woman in high school. She was attacked by police. You know, they, they invaded her home. They broke into her house. They handed her over to foster care. Uh, again, what was her crime? She wanted to attend school as a trans girl. The school wouldn't allow her to enter the building. She was, in effect, expelled from her school, maybe not maybe not officially, but it was a de facto expulsion because she couldn't attend in person. They offered her online schooling. 
and she refused. So the police called her truant, and the judge went along with it. And in my opinion, the police essentially kidnapped her. Uh, This is Tennessee. You know, again, there's a lot of religious fundamentalists who think they have a right to impose their religious ideas on the rest of us. So that's it. We're also going to, it's not in the advert, but we're also going to talk about some other laws, anti, uh, anti-abortion, anti-birth control laws that are occurring, for instance, in Louisiana, criminalizing pregnancy uh, in, in Texas, and also here in Missouri. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how here in Missouri there was a state rep named Brian Seitz. He is, besides being a state rep, he is a Christian fundamentalist preacher, and they wanted to outlaw any abortion, even in the case of an ectopic pregnancy, which used to be called tubal pregnancies, where most of the time the woman will die and the fetus is never viable. And that that medical information came from none other than the Mayo Clinic, but apparently... Christian fundamentalist preachers know more than actual medical doctors, or so they think. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about um, uh, a few other things, too. We may mention there is a a state senator here in Missouri named Mary Elizabeth Coleman, and she is quickly becoming the face of forced pregnancy. And we probably will talk a little bit about her today. We're going to be featuring her in in another program later on. And then, of course, we have our dubious award, the Jackass of the Week. And I'm going to keep that one a little secret, but I'll give you a hint. It's a very wealthy politician that happens to live in a place called Florida. Mar-a-Lago. No. Anyway, I'm just going to, I'm going to just leave that as is, okay? So with no further ado, I am going to let you listen to Rick Spizak's uh, insightful uh, interview with longtime uh, activist, women's rights activist, human rights activist, uh, Meredith Ackman. And here we go. Give it a minute. Okay, we're not getting anything here. We're having a problem here, a little technical difficulty. Give it a minute. All right, let's try again. Oh, what's going on here, folks? We're having a technical problem here. Kind of bear with me. My charming guest, a woman who has been in the trenches for human rights for decades. I, I won't say how many because that's irrelevant. You're just a marvelous, hard-charging human rights advocate. Miss Meredith Ackman, uh, a woman I've known for, for almost probably a decade or so and have been just so honored to know and so uh, so pleased and, and impressed by everything I've ever heard you say. And Thank you. Listen, it's been 25 years. I am not shy about any of it. My um, my birthday is today, and happy birthday! Have... <laughs> Thank you. Oh, and nice. I can tell you, I can tell you that that I have earned every second of it. There were at least several times where my health was faltering, and I didn't have the, and I didn't think I was going to make it to the next day. So, you know, I'm in great health. Everything's wonderful, 
and I've made it to 47. So I've earned every second of it and I don't, uh, I don't run away from the numbers because it, uh, frankly, uh, I remember a time, <laughs> I know it sounds older, but I remember a time when we didn't have to worry about some of these things because generations before us did all that work. And to see it falling is tragic at best. It's tragic. And um, I, I have been an activist since my teenage years. Over, over all that time and all that advocacy from anti-war things to human rights things, I never imagined that, that there would be so many people who would still buy into authoritarianism. You know, who would still look for some magical leader who is going to wave the wand and keep the bad people away. Uh, I never imagined so much gullibility. I never, as a child of the 60s, uh, who, who was raised with the idea that science and math uh, were, were the, literally the linchpin that could hold a civilization together, to see so many people scoff at science and mm -hmm. turn to black magic. Well, I mean, I, I understand it. Like, I, I get it because we're taught in our society to, to worship the patriarchy. And because we're worshiping this patriarchy, there, it holds somebody accountable, so to speak, so that there's a, so that when, when something goes wrong, we know where the issue is so that we can fix it. Um, the problem is there are too many people still drinking the Kool-Aid while we see the truth. And they don't they don't see where the issues are in, in a lot of cases. And I get what you're saying. Like I I can't imagine living in in, in a today in today and watching the news and seeing people suffering and not recognizing that we have to do something as a government, as a society, as a people, um, that that we have to become the village. And the the problem is there's too many people who bought into this nonsense of the you know the the proverbial you know the almost the me generation <laughs> and you know and it and it, it brings us back to this selfishness that I think people don't look past the noses on their faces sometimes and it's a problem and honestly the successes that you saw the successes that we saw um unfortunately creates that complacency because we do the work as activists we do the work so that people can live their lives and so when they're living their lives they're doing what they're supposed to do we're not asking i don't want everybody to be an activist um, unless they're drawn to do that because there's a lot of people who are misguided what i want is for them to be able to live their lives and that's why i've done the work and for us to be able to live our lives and for my son to be able to live his life and not have to be halted or, you know, or hindered by the government telling him what he's allowed to say and whether he's allowed to talk about his two moms. Let me ask you a question. And, you know, it's a matter of great debate these uh, in the last week. Um, there are voices on the right who say this is a very narrow not decision yet, but a trial balloon, if you will, uh, this this opinion. And it, it really only pertains to abortion rights. But I think many of us think otherwise. And I, I want to know where you weigh in on this. So, no, I mean, uh, there is 
legal precedent that's set by Roe versus Wade that includes the LGBT community, that includes, I was reading on um, Facebook, Julie Seaver had posted this, and I thought it was so pertinent. So this is the argument that we need to to remind ourselves about. Roe versus Wade rights have become responsible for court decisions supporting adult rights to sexual intimacy, to gay marriage, and to the rights of parents to make family decisions, such as whether their children are home, schooled, or or go to religious schools. The HIPAA right to privacy also supports an adult's right to decide their medical care and an adult's right to die by rejecting medical care in certain circumstances. This medical care area also implicates the rights of autonomy of the physical, the physically disabled, mentally ill, and further, the right to privacy can support artificial insemination and transgender individuals. Um, they've been used to, to argue that schools can ban people from bathrooms, um, you know, gender identity, like the, 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 the list goes on and on. And, and Roe versus Wade was the, the linchpin to a lot of the, of the, the um, precedent that has that moved forward from there. And so when you talk about the right to privacy and how far that's going to go, we are all subject to being taken advantage of in this, in this respect. We're not talking about women. We're not talking about the LGBT community. We're not talking about uh, families who are uh, couples who are trying to, to become parents. We are talking about everyone. There is nobody who is who is um, who is uh, protected if we lose the right to, to our own autonomy and to our own privacy uh, and to take care of ourselves. It shows the incredible, mind-blowing hypocrisy of this political uh, philosophy. We'll, we'll call it that that used to tout individual rights, limited government, to see them twist their particular biases to where they're demanding the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, I I, I got a laugh myself, but I I stumped a right winger when I said, when did conservatives stop believing in conservation? And they, they couldn't they couldn't respond. It was right. they could not make an argument. Right. right. Even from a religious standpoint, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday who's a rabbi and he made the case clearly he was able to cite references. He made the case that even in Judaism, my Orthodox family members, even in Judaism, it's literally um the 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 religion states that the life of the mother, that the life of the woman takes precedent over an unborn because that unborn does not become a person until they're officially until they're until they have autonomy. And this law takes away our autonomy. It takes away our personhood. It takes away our ability to be able to take care of ourselves and and for under under certain circumstances would literally take away our lives. And, you know, we, we hear comments from the right where, you know, there, we have to breed more white people. I mean, my God. <laughs> it, it, I haven't heard that one, but I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah they, they said that, that we have to restock. 
we have to restock. And uh, of, of course, you know, how I don't know how much further you have to go to say, well, then, you know, every woman will be required to bear X number of children for the state uh, as, as a, you know, I, I, I just hope that we can continue to make a rational discourse because the thing that troubles me most is if we have another right-wing administration in Washington with with a rubber stamp Congress, and, and honestly, the way they've been tinkering with the state's electoral system, mm-hmm. it seems more likely than not that that's what we're going to end up with. I just worry that there won't be room for rational discourse, that they're going to push us into a corner. I mean, I think that January 6th demonstrated that there really isn't rational discourse necessarily. Like we've, we've, we've come to the point where we need to reclaim it. It's not even at the point of, of maintaining it. Um, it's, it's at the point where we need to find it again. Um, and I think that, you know, we don't, the, you know, we don't have the, um, you know, the, the representation on the other side, on the conservative side, that even you know we were having a discussion and it used to be the case that they were pro-choice republicans there were there were there were supportive there were people who were supportive of of autonomy over ourselves and uh, you know we were having a discuss i was having a discussion with a group of friends the other day and one of them said well you know there's also the republicans and i said if you can name one republican who has voted in a way that i can support then i will a hundred percent like i'm on that bandwagon so to speak i haven't found one and i'm i'm tired of you know of 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 liberals and um and progressives pretending that we need to have bipartisan support for things that we don't have bipartisan support for in the first place um i would like to see bipartisan support for all of our issues we just don't see it because Instead, the, the conservatives, you know, listen, I've represented organizations that have been supportive of different, um, you know, of different, um, you know, of, of the nonprofit world. And so, you know, I've always had to kind of, you know, ride that line. I'm speaking as myself today. I'm on the board of a few different organizations, but I can tell you, as far as I'm concerned, when I can find a Republican that I can support, then I will go back to finding nonpartisan, you know, um, bipartisan support for things. In the meantime, I'm not digging under rocks that I'm not going to find anything under. You know, it's not, it, it's, it's sad because we have a lot of people, because I don't believe that the 10% of Republicans that are actually in office are representative of all those Republicans. I know plenty of people who are pro-choice Republicans, who are pro, who are supportive of the issues that we think are, are are supportive. They just have the wrong idea, and they think that it's that 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 the Republicans have a better fiscal record, even though they don't. Um, and so it goes into, you know, finding those people who will run for office that aren't just going to carry the flag. I, I have uh, relocated to another part of the country from my long time down in Florida, and I have heard some things here in the in uh, the, the unreconstructed South that so <laughs> blow my mind. You, you remember the old argument, you know, 
that that the reason that so many of the poor working class people uh, support draconian Republican policies is because they believe that one day they'll be rich. And I kid you not, I kid you not, Mm -hmm. I had the local garbage man in my house and he looked at my wife and I wearing masks and he said, well, you know, after the election, all that stuff will be put away. And I said, really, you think so? And he said, oh, gosh, yes. This is just, you know, a Democratic plan to scare us. He said, but I'll tell you something. I don't believe in virus. and I don't believe in socialism because when I get to be a millionaire, this is the guy who is the local garbage man with one truck. With what truck? And he's standing in my living room telling me that he doesn't want anyone to be controlling his money when he becomes a millionaire. Now, the fact that he was in his probably late 60s mm-hmm. made me think that his opportunities to become a millionaire were really slim, let's say. But this man was expressing his honest belief. And and I had another neighbor, otherwise sane, otherwise sane, say to me, was it true? She knows that I <laughs> fly a different flag than her. She said, is it true that the president, that the president will take my bank account if I don't, if I don't have a vaccine? And I said, no, it, it's not true. Your, your your bank account is safe from from the vice president. It, it, it just not a problem. I mean the president, but mm-hmm. it was so. And, and this is not a person who is, you know, otherwise mentally challenged. But this these are actual beliefs of people walk around, and you know when I think about the the that we have done the corners that we've stood on, the legislators we've cornered and buttonholes and pitched and the, the petitions we've signed in the street corners we stood on. And, mm-hmm. and I hear that kind of stuff and it just, uh, it's, it's a real, you know, it's a blast of uh, some kind of air. I won't say what, listen, but wow. Listen, I think that the, the issue hindering that trash collector from becoming a bajillionaire is not necessarily his lot in life, but it's his, his idea, this idea that he doesn't believe in socialism, that he doesn't believe in, in, um, in the virus. Like those are the things that are going to, like his, his belief system is really hindering the, the, the rest of his life. He could be doing better, except that when you look at it from that standpoint, you put people in office that are gonna make sure that you pay more taxes and have a lot more issues. Um, I think that, um, you know, that your neighbor um, has um, probably has the same kind of issues that we all do is that we're the product of our upbringing. And, you know, luckily, even though I can tell you that my family members, many of my family members voted for Reagan, which I wouldn't have, but I was a child. Um, I can tell you that, um, that we had those discussions. We had discourse, we had uh, conversations about it, which is probably why I'm as um, consistently 
uh, <laughs> I wouldn't call myself combative, but at least productive when it comes to having conversations with people about it. Like it, it's probably the reason. And most people don't have those conversations. And most people are not sitting down with their family members and having those, you know, and, and making sure that they're educated on those issues. And so what you're dealing with is a situation where those people in particular um, are per perpetuating falsities and negative information instead of learning for themselves how they think and what they believe is the truth so that they can move it forward. And that's, I think, the biggest hindrance that we have. Like the thought process, you know, I'm not teaching my son that he has to believe how I do. I'm teaching my son to understand all the things so that he can make a choice and he can make a decision as to where he stands. Now, if he's a conservative, we're going to have a few more discussions. <laughs> because, uh, but I think that, you know, I think it's, and that, and that's fine. Like, you know, I have family members that are, that are conservatives that I adore. And as a matter of fact, one of them uh, just told me the other day or a couple of weeks ago, we were at a uh, um, dinner with the family and he proclaimed himself to be pro-choice, which I was so happy about because he's very, he's, because his stance is pretty conservative. And so I was really pleased to hear that. He's a doctor. It's something that, you know, that I, I really appreciated hearing his, his uh, you know, his, his stance on that. And so you never know where those good messages are going to kind of permeate the, you know, the rest of the noise so that you can, you know, and that's why we have to continue to stand on the street corners and go to and talk to you and, you know, and do all the things that we can to make sure the good messages come out because, when you only hear the negative stuff, then it's hard to, it's hard to do that work. It's hard to think the right way. Um, let me ask you a question. You know, I, I think when, when I hear my get Democratic friends say, you know, it's important to get the vote out. And of course, I, I, you can never disagree with that. I'm just troubled and worried that our state electoral systems have been so compromised. And I don't see much standing in the way of that dilemma. And I worry uh, what an even more conservative Congress could be up to. Um, I, I attended an ACLU conference you know, probably a decade ago now. And at this ACLU conference in, in Washington, D.C., Anthony Scalia addressed it. And, and he said that, you know, you know, you know what those kind of meetings are like. They're generally convivial and, you know, all the lots of good, positive people around. And there's a, a fellowship among progressive activists and, and ACLU activists. And, you know, this is such a really good feeling. And here, this like, Scalia came to give a speech. And at the end of it, almost as a afternote, he said, you know, if we can get four more justices on the conservative side, you just watch out. And this shudder went, went through the auditorium because these are people that think about that problem and knew just how awful mm -hmm. and scary that implication was. And yeah. I'm afraid that's where we are. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think um, I think you're right. I think he was right. And, you know, it's funny because he also came from a time where the conservatives and the republic and and the conservatives and the and the, the liberals were able to have 
you know, communicate and have uh, and, and have that discourse, that positive discourse. Um, and even he saw the writing on the wall. And that's that's a big deal. It's a big deal for him to say that to especially to and for him to even have been at an event like that is is a big deal because you wouldn't see, you know, some of the, the you know, the justices that are fighting against us now to, you know, show up to something like that. Um, and so the fact that he was even there demonstrates an entirely different attitude. Um, I think uh, I think that he was right, and I think that our main uh, I think our, my main goal in next is to implore the president to expand the the, uh, the Supreme Court. The only way for us to level out the playing field is to get more players on the field. And so right now we've got nine people that are representing the bajillions of people in our country. And you, you, that's not representation. That's not, um, it, it's more, um, diverse than we've seen it in the past, but that doesn't mean that it's representation. I want to end on a positive note, at least as, as positive a note as I can. We have theoretically got coming up in June the televised hearings. And of course, all things being equal, it, it's, it's a real crapshoot. Uh, it could be amazing, it could be wonderful, and it could be a dud. Um, <laughs> for those of us who brought the Constitution, I think it's a pretty big deal. Um, what do you anticipate? Do you now? What, do you think there's a chance that Garland, uh, Merrick Garland, is going to get up off the dime and do something? That's a good question. Um, I'm not an expert when it comes to the courts. I'm not, you know. So it's, uh, you know, I don't even like to throw my, you know, to throw sort of consideration out there. I think that it's, uh, uh, you know, I think in order for them to make a justifiable uh, argument, um, they're going to have to do a lot of moving around and um, maneuvering in order to justify taking away people's rights on so many levels. And um, I think, you know, at this point, my focus is just going to be done on the next, you know, couple of few weeks, the next, you know, trying to get people out to make the noise that we need so that hopefully John Roberts sees that we that we have, you know, so that the Supreme Court in general sees that they have to, they, they can't politicize this. They can't turn this into what they're trying to do. And furthermore, the justices who said that Roe is precedent and that shouldn't be touched during their, their confirmation hearings should all be disbarred as far as I'm concerned. I know that you wanted to leave on a positive note. We have some, um, you know, some good things coming up. Um, I think uh, we have um, one of the groups that I'm working with is putting together. Is it okay if I go ahead and plug uh, an event that's coming Please, up? Of course, of course. Um, I don't want to just, you know, take a uh, take advantage, no, no. but we have Jews and Allies for Abortion Rights a virtual rally that's coming up on May 17th at noon. Um, and uh, I'm going to put it on my Facebook page. So anybody that wants to to um, get more information is welcome to contact me. Meredith.Ockman at gmail.com is my email address. And Meredith Ockman is my name on Facebook too. So, um, and we've got a couple of rallies that are coming up too. Um, we have uh, some uh, 
people leaving office who have been in for a long time, including Ted Deutsch, for example. And we've got some a uh, couple of candidates that are running that I think are going to be really important and really wonderful. Um, I'm so excited that Hava Holzauer has put, put her name in the ring, too. And so, um, you know, so there's there's hope. I've got some hope that that there's, you know, there's a few candidates that we can, you know, proverbially hang our hats on and, and you know, and I'm going to bolster as much of them as I can. So I'm putting together my list, my slate that I'm going to want. And, you know, we'll see how that goes, but stay tuned on Facebook and anybody else that I can help with. Um, PBCHRC is, of course, going to do our local endorsements as well. Um, and anybody who wants help with, you know, with voting on a, you know, um, I'm, I'm happy to talk it out and help with local races anywhere in the country. I can help with that stuff. I've run campaigns across the country. Well, the work you're doing with the Human Rights Coalition alone is wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Meredith. Thank you for your time. Wonderful to see you again. You take care of yourself. Thanks, Rick. It's always wonderful to see you. Okay. Bye-bye, dear. Thanks again. Bye. Okay. All righty. And we are back to the show. That was a wonderful interview that Rick had with human rights activist Meredith Ackman. And right now I'm getting ready for our second show, our second story. So. A little, I guess, it's my version of music. I love the sound of progressives hitting the streets and standing up for human rights. Okay, I'm back. Alrighty, so now we're moving on to our second story. Keep in mind, now Rick's interview was pre-recorded um, due to schedule constraints, but for the most part, this show's done live. So any hiccups we have along the way, well, you know, that's what happens when you do a live show. Uh, it's not overly scripted. Um, you know, we don't have these talking heads with their helmet hair and their Barbie doll makeup, all right? This is real. These are real people, real journalists. So let's move on. So this, we're still talking about the implications of the Roe decision that's going to be handed down by the SCOTUS or the Supreme Court. And as Meredith Ackman and Rick were talking about, the implications are really very serious. Keep in mind, a lot of people think, wrongly actually, that Roe v. Wade is the abortion decision. That's not it. You have to understand how the law works and how lawyers and judges think. If you think it's just the way we normally behave, you're way off target. So the Roe decision was basically built up by other decisions, like Griswold v. Connecticut, which where the Supreme Court overruled a, the Connecticut where they said they had a law that's saying that, you know, even married couples couldn't have access to certain contraceptive devices. All right, that's your state's rights. And the Supreme Court went, eh, wrong. State's rights can't limit your individual rights. Not like that. So anyway, Roe came along, and Roe was a broader decision. What it did was, as I said before, Roe predicated everything on an implied right to privacy. And under that implied right to privacy, you had other rights as well, such as the right to decide 
who your sexual partners are as long as they are adults and they're consenting. Okay, notice what I said. Uh, Roe, I mean, I'm sorry, the Roe decision for that right to privacy basically struck down as unconstitutional a lot of state laws that banned interracial marriage, that banned gay marriage, that banned the use of contraception, that banned, in, that banned uh, homosexual sex under any circumstance. It was actually criminalized. They were anti-sodomy laws that um, banned your right to medical privacy. It goes on and on and on. And if you think for a minute, think about this. If Roe, no, I won't say if, when Roe is reversed, the court, the Supreme Court is essentially saying that we don't have a right to privacy, which means, yes, the police can bang down your door. Fourth Amendment or not, they can. Because what a law, what a law does, it's not just what the law says it can do, it's also what it omits, what it leaves out. And that's exactly what happened to this trans girl. Now, keep in mind, the GOP of Trump and these religious fundamentalists are targeting people and criminalizing people that they hate. Let's just put it out there. They are criminalized, they're trying to criminalize activities and criminalize people that they hate, that they think are evil. Women that use contraception, women that need an abortion, <clears throat> the LGBTQ community. We can go on and on and on. All right, this is, there, there's no guesswork here. There's no subtlety. So I had this story, and it was all over the net. It was about this trans, uh, teenage trans girl. And this was from Vice News. They, they call it the motherboard tech section, and it was reposted elsewhere. So what happened was in Tennessee, there was this 16-year-old trans girl, trans teenage girl, meaning that her arbitrary assigned uh, gender at birth was male, and she's becoming female. Again, I'm not an expert on it, so bear with me. She had a Twitch stream, all right? This kid is, you know, podcasting and videoing. And she had the police enter her room. They, they actually took the door off her hinges to her bedroom. I kid you not. Um, the kid's uh, name, she just goes by Vio Wynn, okay? And she's a streamer. So what happened was this. The police officers entered her bedroom, and this was uh, late April. She was playing Minecraft Live. Okay, a lot of kids love Minecraft. And the confrontation between her and these armed police officers was recorded. It was caught on the live stream, so it's there. And here's what happened. This young girl, this trans girl, was pressured to leave her high school in Tennessee and do online school. The school, the high school forbid her from attending in person. What, why? Did, was she a disciplinary problem? No. I mean, I taught for 30 years. This kid, no disciplinary problem. She didn't attack anybody, no record of violence, nothing. The only reason they basically did a de facto expulsion, in essence, was because she was trans. That's it. She was forbidden from attending school, her high school in person. To me, that is, for all practical purposes, yes, a de facto expulsion. And she was, she was told she had to go to the online school. Now, the kid knew 
But the online school lacks the same level of resources as being, uh, being able to attend in person. And so she refused to do the online school. Therefore, the school said she was truant. They went to court. Uh, the judge had to agree with it, I suppose. And, you know, the kid basically, here's what Wynn, the young girl, the trans girl said, quote, this will probably be the last stream ever because they're trying to get me to either kill myself or go into foster care or something instead of just giving me an education. Honestly, I just want to go to school, but they don't want me to go to school because I'm trans. I'm just really stressed out, end quote. So the police officers invaded her home with a court order. They removed her from her parents' home. Now, this young girl was already an adopted child, okay? They removed her. They, first, they took the door off the hinges. Then they removed her, and they were going to put her in foster care. So the kid goes on to say, quote, I was already adopted once. I don't need to be adopted again. And that's what she said on her live stream. I just need to be able to go to school. I'm just worried I'll get abused, end quote. So Wynn told the Motherboard publication that she believes that the cops were using this wellness check okay, to check up on her. And, but she's being pressured by authorities to go into the foster care system, even though she has adoptive parents, legally adoptive parents. Now, I don't believe this bromide about a wellness check. If you actually go and look at her live stream, she seems like a really well-adjusted kid, all right? In fact, I wouldn't even know she was trans, frankly, but that doesn't matter. The fact is, she seems like a perfectly well-adjusted kid who's doing a live stream. What's the problem? But the day this police attack began was April 27th. And, you know, she had a court date, and that's when she was going to learn whether she was going to have to go into foster care. The kid rightfully claimed she's being denied an education. Now, the school pressured her to attend classes online, but, again, it's fewer resources than what children receive in person when they get to go into the school building. And the kid knew it. So it was already an unequal situation. You know, Brown v. Board of Education says separate but equal isn't equal. Now, that dealt with race, not gender identity, but I'd say the principle still applies. The young girl said also, quote, I consider it being denied in education, though it legally isn't considered as such. So that's why the judge considered me truant, end quote. Sounds like a really well-adjusted kid. Uh, it was also noted by this young girl that other students also took an online school option, but that she, she was the only one she knew of who was heavily pressured by the school to stay home. Again, this student was not violent, didn't break any of the school rules. She wasn't disrespectful of teachers. She didn't have a disciplinary problem that would make her a danger to be in the school building. The school essentially had no legal right to bar her from entering the building. The only reason they did that is because she's trans. That's it. Wynn goes on to say, quote, I, I, just, I don't just, excuse me, I don't understand why the state of Tennessee would rather ruin a child's life than just let her go to school, but it really shows where their priorities are, end quote right kid. So Wynn says that while she was on the stream expressing all this, then the police enter her room. Okay? Uh, she did expect the police were coming that day because she heard her parents talking about it. 
Uh, Wynn went on to say, quote, I was insanely stressed out, so I decided to stream, as it's one of the only things that reliably makes me happy and calms me down, end quote. So she was 17 minutes into her live stream playing Minecraft when a police officer burst into her door, opens her door, burst into, the, into her room, several more walk in. Keep in mind, these are cops. They are armed with guns. Any kid would be intimidated. This kid took it in stride. Um, they saw her streaming live. And she reacted very casually, which only made the cops look like more like jackasses, which they are. Um, all the kid had to say was, uh, quote, okay, well, now there's an officer in here just trying to join the stream, end quote. <laughs> the meanwhile, all these cops are milling, they're standing behind her in full view of the camera. And the kid, Wynn just keeps playing Minecraft, and to quote her, she says, I'm just going to act like they're not here because that's easier, end quote. Then the police told her father, cut the power. And the stream stopped. Wynn went on to say, quote, the police forced me to turn around in my chair and then acted very angry with me, with an officer even saying that he didn't see any tears and got mad at me for crying as I had tears running down my face, end quote. Wynn went on to say, quote, they made me leave my room and had an officer search it. After that, they told me I shouldn't have put the chair against my door and then took the door off of its hinges. They asked if I was suicidal. I said no, and then they left, end quote. So the cops then came back later that day. Um, they were going to watch her being forced into the caseworker's car to go to foster care. Um, Wynn said, quote, the treatment overall was unempathetic and very cold and angry on their part, end quote. Now, Wynn was allowed to come home for the weekend because they didn't have a foster placement for her on Friday but she's in foster care now, according to what she told Motherboard. Keep in mind, this happened in Tennessee, and Tennessee has a disgraceful reputation. It's obvious, it's not just the Republicans, it's obvious religious conservatives in Tennessee feel that their rights supersede everyone else's. If Tennessee has gone on record, it's one of the most hostile states regarding the fate of transgender youth, the Tennessee governor signed uh, a law, Governor Bill Lee, he signed off this legislation as documented by NBCNews.com, and this would make it illegal for doctors to provide what's called gender-confirming hormone treatment to prepubescent minors. Now, keep in mind, I don't have any kids. If I did and my kid came to me and said, look, I think I'm trans, I want to undergo treatment, I would talk to the physician. My only concern would be, you know, with any <clears throat> hormone treatment or any, any drug, is this safe? Yeah. And if I really felt it wasn't medically quite safe, I'd say, you know what, I support you, but I think you're going to have to wait till you're 18. Now, again, they could dress like trans or whatever, but um, I, that's my only concern would be, are the hormone treatments safe? Because I know as a woman, uh, once you go through the change, there's this big uh, furor over whether or not hormone replacement therapy increases cancer risk. And it's a much smaller dose of hormones. So, you know, I guess that would be my one worry. Is it medically safe? And if it's medically safe, then I have no problem with it. Uh, and, again, this is a medical decision that should be between the parents, the youth, and their physician. It's no one else's business. So Tennessee went on. They became the first state to, quote, require public restrooms to have signs saying whether they allowed trans people to use bathrooms in accordance with their gender, and that was documented by the Associated Press. 
have a little bit of water here. And then last, this was, um, so this article ran in, give me a minute here. This, yeah, okay. So last month, this article ran a few days ago. So this kid's been in foster care for a while now. Um, so last month, Governor Lee signed two bills, and that's according to wapp.capital.tennessee.gov. One is HB 1895 and SB 1861. So it's, the, okay, it's the same bill, all right? House Bill 1895, which became Senate Bill 1861. Same bill, I stand corrected. And this would, uh, would remove funding from school districts that allow any trans students to play sports. Now, it doesn't say whether or not you have a trans girl wants to play on the girls' team. It doesn't even get into that. It's just that it would... It forbids trans students to play sports and punishes school districts that do the right thing and let these kids play by taking funds away. Kids, you not. Okay, there's more. Now, there's several organizations and child welfare groups that have come out arguing that this, this type of discrimination hurts youth, who hurts youth, trans youth, excuse me. And that includes the Human Rights Campaign, the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Medical Association. And so these are medical doctors, two of the organizations. One is a human rights campaign organization, but the American Academy of Pediatrics is a medical a group of pediatricians. The other one is the AMA, American Medical Association, actual physicians. And they, all three of these groups have condemned what they call trans-affirming care bans. In other words, these laws that, that, ban, uh, that ban any sort of trans-affirming um, trans care, um, these groups have said hurt trans kids. Children's health advocates have, according to the Tennessean.com, they've called the attack on trans rights in Tennessee a mental health crisis. When, you know, again, I, I watched the video, and this girl is, she's awesome. Okay, I have no other way to put it. She's awesome. She's beautiful. And Wynn had to say the following, quote, I feel less stressed since I now understand more of the ins and outs of foster care. Um, the plan now is to, try to get a, is to try getting a new court date for the foster care people to tell a judge that I don't need to be in foster care in hopes that I can be officially released from DCS custody, end quote. And then she wants to attend summer school to catch up in time so she could, she could attend school in person the second semester of 11, let me start again, start a stuttering, sorry folks. She hopes that um, she, can, she wants to attend summer school and the school has agreed. Her high school finally came around and agreed to let her attend summer school in person so she can catch up for the second semester of 11th grade next year. So the school finally came around. The police didn't. Okay. And as far as I'm concerned, the behavior of police in this instance where they are clearly bullying a child is reprehensible. You know, today uh, there was uh, some sort of a ceremony honoring police officers that have fallen in the line of duty. And, you know, I, I give condolences to anybody who's lost a loved one, whether in the line of duty as a police officer or not. But President Biden was talking about 
how police, you know, serve, they serve and protect and all this junk that just isn't true. The fact is this. The, it seems like the only people that police officers in this country protect and serve are, one, the very wealthy and corporate, two, if you're a white, Christian, cisgendered male. <clears throat> That's it. If you are a person of color, a religious minority, an uppity woman, a member of the LGBTQ community, the presence of police is a danger to you. It's been documented too many times. So shame on President Biden for doing that. Just shame on it. He went too far. There are too many communities that rightfully so view the police as the enemy because the police and too often, have acted as the enemy. They are the enforcers of racist laws. They are the enforcers of sexist laws. They are the enforcers of laws that discriminate against the LGBTQ community, as we saw in this story. Just saying. I got kind of hot about this because I hate when I see any kid, any child, being abused or neglected. Again, the school finally came around. They realized they had no right to essentially expel her. Okay, that's what that's what schools do. If a kid is a, a disciplinary problem and they get expelled, if they're not expelled from the district but just from the school, then they're offered online or alternative school education, which is never going to include all the resources of being right there, or they offer homeschooling, whatever. Just isn't. And the school had no no right, no reason to essentially expel when They just didn't. And as for the parents, I hope they sue that police department. I hope they sue them and take everything they have because for the police to essentially threaten a child to invade your home, inexcusable. I know if it was my kid, I'd sue. Okay, a little drink of water here. Let's move on. So that's one implication of the pending road decision that's being handed down. Another example uh, from Newsweek, this story. Oh, and the last story was, I'm sorry, about when was written by Samantha Cole for Vice News, their motherboard text section. I just wanted to make sure I give proper credit. Because on this, school, on this show, we always attribute. Okay. So now we have a story from Newsweek. This was dated um, May 6th. It's written by Julia Carbonaro. The headline reads, Anger as Louisiana abortion bill could see women charged with murder. Okay? And this is happening all over the country, not just in Louisiana. Um, so this is an example of how conservatives wouldn't only call abortion murder, but in some states they want to make it eligible for the death penalty. Louisiana's one of them. Now, they may have changed their mind, but that's what it was as of May 6th. Okay, so this was a bill. It was pushed by Louisiana lawmakers uh, May 6th. It may have been amended by now. It would abolish abortion in the state. It would classify abortion as murder. Um, and there you have the an opponent of the bill, uh, somebody named Jamie Schler, that had a really good uh, tweet. It said, quote, welcome to 1940, ladies, where bodily autonomy in healthcare is criminal homicide, end quote. 
And others, other opponents compared this proposal to, quote, living in the Old Testament, end quote. Now, under this new proposed bill, again, as of May 6th, may have changed by now, everything's moving fast. It was House Bill 813, abortion, quote, abortion will be considered as homicide from fertilization and conception, end quote. Now, apparently the legislators in Louisiana, what they want to do is, quote, ensure the right to life and equal protection of the laws to all unborn children from the moment of fertilization by protecting them by the same laws protecting other human beings, end quote. It goes further. Any abortion would also see that the doctor or anyone assisting that person who wants the abortion would all be charged with murder. Cyrus McQueen, excuse me, need a little drink here. Throat's getting out on me. Cyrus McQueen uh, tweeted the following. Quote, Louisiana is trying to advance a bill that will classify abortion as murder? What are we, living in the Old Testament? The war on the uterus is going to be worse than the war on drugs. The plan is to just lock up generations of women, completely upend the balance of society, WTAF, end quote. Now, opponents of the bill have raised multiple concerns. They're afraid that the law will also impact the following, in vitro fertilization, or IVF. Number two, forms of contraceptives like IUDs or intrauterine birth control devices. And number three, emergency contraception, which, yes, it could, if those devices, if those treatments are classified as abortion patients, yes, that would all be classified as murder under that law. The fact that it's not specified doesn't mean they couldn't do it. They could. Okay. Now we have another tweet, uh, tweet from Ken Olin who is an actor, quote, um, Louisiana Republicans have voted to advance a bill making abortion from the moment of fertilization a crime in which the mother can be charged with homicide. Okay, so will they advance a bill in which a man who masturbates can be charged with involuntary manslaughter, end quote. I just go, God bless Mr. Olin, he's right. If you're talking about anything that interferes with fertilization, Think about that for a minute. We're not talking about once there's a little bit of a zygote that may or may not attach to the womb. A lot of them don't, okay? It's a crapshoot. Um, we're talking about from fertilization. So theoretically, I guess progressives could argue that men who masturbate are preventing fertilization. Therefore, all their little swimmers are potential babies, so therefore, when they, excuse my life, when they're jacking off, they're committing murder by the thousands. Okay, that's a bit much, but you get the idea. I, I guess my point is this. If you're so worried about, and you want to end uh, abortion, there's a couple ways you can do it. This is not the article, it's just me talking. Number one, if you actually look at the statistics, worldwide, the nations that have the lowest level of abortion, nearly zero, are the countries where all different types of contraception are affordable or free and easily accessed, period. Have effective contraception except to maybe save the life or health of mother, abortions unnecessary. And I have another idea too. This is kind of like what Olin said. You know, 
Vasectomies are a simple procedure and they're reversible now. In fact, a vasectomy is less invasive than some of these birth control methods. How about then if you're really serious about having no abortions except to save a woman's life and even then not? How about we force all men to have vasectomies that are only reversed when they're ready to become fathers? How about that? But see, notice, this only attacks the female half of humanity and no one else. Okay? This isn't about pro-life anything. This is about punishing and controlling women, period. Okay? So this, there's more to this. Theoretically, uh, miscarriages could also be subject to criminal charges. Okay, think about it. When you miscarry, the pregnancy ends. Okay? Now, I happen to know women that had multiple miscarriages, and miscarriages occur for a lot of reasons. Maybe there's a hormonal imbalance. Maybe they have endometriosis. Uh, there's a lot of different things that can cause a miscarriage. And what this bill potentially could do is not just subject those women that have miscarriages to criminal charges, it potentially criminalizes pregnancy unless it goes perfectly. Make no mistake about it. Okay? Um, so uh, basically a Twitter user wrote, quote, half of us will suffer a miscarriage at some point in our lives. The Republican Party is essentially criminalizing womanhood, end quote. And another comment was, quote, burning at the stake can't be far behind, end quote. Okay? Chris Kaiser, who's the advocacy director for the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union in Louisiana, uh, said the bill was barbaric, which it is. And Chris Kaiser went on to say that it would, quote, subject people to murder prosecutions punishable by life without parole for having abortions. Okay. Social media was flooded with all sorts of real-life stories about women who've had abortions for different reasons and would be punished as criminalized and, and, and prosecuted as murderers. Uh, one Twitter user said, quote, my friend's cousin who lives in Louisiana just had an abortion at 20 weeks after finding out her baby had anencephaly. This law would make her a murderer and force her to take to term a baby having no brain activity a baby who would have no chance for life. This is so blank, F-bomb, end quote. Anencephaly, and the Twitter use is correct, this is basically when a fetus develops and there is nothing really there in terms of brain development except a brain stem. So this, this fetus can breathe, the heart beats, but there is nothing there. A, 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 a fetus that has anencephaly, if it's, if it's born, will never learn to walk, to talk, will never do anything because they are essentially, I'd say brain dead, except the brain never developed. Okay? Think about that. Okay? Now, the Newsweek story, I, I got a little irritated with, though, because they had to push this false equivalence argument, and I'm so tired of it. You know, they said, quote, as in any other debate, there is another side to the story. 
and talking about these people that call themselves pro-life, including the author of this heinous bill, Louisiana Representative Danny McCormick, who said, quote, we can't wait on the Supreme Court, end quote. Once again, I'm tired of false equivalents. Those type of arguments have no place really in in journalism, as far as I'm concerned. All right, this is this type of law isn't just going to punish women who have elective abortion, let's say. This type of law will criminalize pregnancy, and if you take it for especially from fertilization, it will potentially criminalize an application. Women who use birth control because they're preventing fertilization, or in this instance, maybe the egg was fertilized, becomes a zygote, and they're preventing it from developing. It will criminalize women who have miscarriages. This is just something that women will be terrified to go to the doctor. It could potentially criminalize and bar women from certain types of employment because just like they did back in my grandmother's day, well, you know, it might endanger some of your eggs, so you can't work here. This is basically reducing women to a womb, nothing else. Okay? But it, just when you think it couldn't get worse, it gets worse. From Business Insider, we have an article uh, written by Mia DeGraff, Anna Medeiros, and Taylor Simone Mitchell. Now, this goes back to this past March, March of 22. And the headline is, Missouri seeks to ban abortion for ectopic pregnancies with a penalty of up to 30 years in prison. This gets really crazy. An ectopic pregnancy never results in a viable birth. It can't. The fetus develops outside of the womb, usually along the fallopian tubes, whatever. And quite often the woman dies as well from internal bleeding when the tube bursts. There's no viability here, ever. So who's the brain surgeon behind this in Missouri? Well, I'll tell you. Missouri Representative Brian Seitz. Okay, now Seitz, I feel it's important to tell you that besides being a state rep, He is also a Christian fundamentalist pastor who is obviously pushing his religious views on everyone else, and he has no right to do so. And this information on his religious views and his his work as a pastor came straight from his biography on on his rep page from Missouri. He provided the information. It says, quote, in addition to his legislative duties, Seitz has served as the pastor of Sovereign Grace Baptist Church in Branson for 12 years and was the owner of Music Country News for 15 years, end quote. I would advise everybody boycott Branson, okay? They make money there, too. This bill would ban abortion after 10 weeks and make it a crime specifically to terminate ectopic pregnancies. Now, an ectopic pregnancy is never viable, never And that's as documented by a little place called the Mayo Clinic. Ectopic pregnancies are often deadly to the pregnant person. Okay? Here's what happens with an ectopic pregnancy. Representative Seitz specifically put in this bill that ectopic pregnancies 
anybody that gets an abortion for an ectopic pregnancy that's medically necessary will 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 um will be um labeled a murderer and they will get many years in prison. It's not that it just happened to include happened to be a question. Sites specified this. He obviously hates women. So what's an ectopic pregnancy? Okay. And this is information um according to the Mayo Clinic. All right. An ectopic pregnancy happens when the embryo implants outside of the uterus. The uterus is the womb. A lot of times, often, the embryo will implant in the fallopian tube, which is between the ovaries and the uterus. According to the Mayo Clinic, one of the best medical institutions in the world, quote, it is never viable and can be deadly to the pregnant person, end quote. Now, this is, it, it, the bill goes further. So this is House Bill number 2810, and this is as documented by www.house.mo.gov, bill tracking. Uh, he also proposed that the production, sale, purchase, or use of medical devices or drugs used for abortions is a Class B uh, 11 felony, and that would be punishable up to 15 years in prison. But Sites wasn't really satisfied with this level of criminalizing being female. I mean, he really wants pregnant women to die. He goes further and specifies this, either performing or assisting an abortion for on an ectopic pregnancy. That wouldn't be a Class B felony. It'd be a Class A felony. And under Sites' plan would carry a sentence as high as 30 years or life in prison. And that's as documented by www.dwicriminallawcenter.com. Think about what we're saying here. A woman that meet, according to the Mayo Clinic, one of the top medical institutions in the world, people come from all over. Doctors of the Mayo Clinic said, an ectopic, ectopic pregnancy is never viable. No baby's going to develop, and frequently the woman dies. It is, sometimes they die because the fallopian tube burst and they bleed to death from inside. Sometimes it's just that they may get toxemia and die from that, but the fact is this. According to this bill, if you produce, sell, buy, or use medical devices or drugs used for abortion, that's a Class B felony. You can get up to 15 years in prison for that. But if you perform or help in an abortion specifically, specifically for an ectopic pregnancy, which is never viable, often results in a woman's death, that will be a Class A felony with a sentence as high as 30 years to life in prison because a woman wants to try and save her own life. The, the, there will be no baby. It's never viable. And she just doesn't want to die. Now, ectopic pregnancies are diagnosed by blood tests and ultrasound. And they do require termination, according to the Mayo Clinic. In other words, they require an abortion because if an ectopic, ectopic pregnancy is allowed to continue, it will rupture the body part where the embryo has implanted which can cause deadly internal bleeding, end quote, according to the Mayo Clinic. 
and that is under diseases, conditions, ectopic pregnancy, diagnosis, treatment. Now, does Brian Seitz care? Of course not. But why would you write a bill that specifies that women that want to save their lives for an ectopic pregnancy that is never viable, never happen, 100%, will not happen, to save their own lives, they will get an even heavier, they'll get, they'll get life in prison. Why would Brian Seitz write such an ass nine bill unless he truly hated women? Because uh, either that or he's that stupid. I don't know which. Now, his restrictive bill came days after another Missouri rep, a GOP, named Mary Elizabeth Coleman, also proposed another bill that would make it illegal, quote, for Missouri residents to seek abortion care outside of the state. And that's a court, it's documented by the WashingtonPost.com. Now, here in Missouri, we just have one abortion clinic, and it's in St. Louis City. That's it. Now, this is what's happening here, okay? Now, these ectopic pregnancies, I know for a fact they did drop this. Uh, I know Mary Elizabeth Coleman was fine with this bill until many of us called and complained, and then they dropped part of it um, because it's so stupid. An ectopic pregnancy, older people used to call it a tubal pregnancy, all right? That means that the embryo stuck in the fallopian tube, uh, and it can be caused by several things. It could be that you have a damaged or misshapen fallopian tube that the doctor didn't know anything about. You could have a hormonal imbalance that causes it, or it could just be abnormal development of a fertilized egg, again, according to the Mayo Clinic, okay? Um, if left untreated, according to the Mayo Clinic, the pregnancies, quote, can cause your fallopian tube to burst open. Without treatment, the ruptured tube can lead to life-threatening bleeding, end quote. Mayo Clinic. What part of this does Mr. Seitz not understand? Seriously. It goes further, and uh, as well as Mary Elizabeth Coleman, and we're going to be talking about her in another show, all right? Because Mary Elizabeth Coleman has become the face of the forced pregnancy movement. Okay, she has six children herself. She was, uh, she's received some national attention by the media. Vanity Fair did a piece on her where they talked about how she was so pro, chose up pro-life, but she's pro-forced pregnancy. She has six children and a career, but at one point she was, she was wealthy enough to afford not one, but two nannies to take care of her kids. Okay, so the hypocrisy goes deep. Mary Elizabeth Coleman, again, this is a diversion, also works for the Thomas More Society. The Thomas More Society is a conservative group that is not only anti-abortion and anti-birth control, they are, one of their goals is also to end, uh, end um, um, no-fault no, um, no divorce, okay? That they want to end no-fault divorce as well. So she has a major conflict of interest, all right? Um, once again, we're going to be talking about Mary Elizabeth Coleman at another time. Just last week, she was interviewed, I think it was on CBS, the Sunday morning show, and the reporter failed to ask her about her stance on ectopic pregnancies in that bill, all right? She got a pass. We're not going to give her a pass here at PNN. I have already placed multiple calls to her reps in Jefferson City, which is our state capital. They have never responded. I will follow up with email, and then we're just going to go to town on her. Now, 
What about this bill by Brian Seitz that Mary Elizabeth Coleman, at least at first, didn't have a problem with? I think she has a problem now. She backtracked a little bit. She's an attorney herself. She's not stupid. What do medical professionals think about Seitz's bill? Well, it's predictable. They're outraged. Uh, Dr. Jessica Shepard, who is an OBGYN, said the following, quote, this bill directly attacks the lives of women as ectopic tubal pregnancies remain a serious cause of maternal morbidity or mort and mortality, okay? Furthermore, this also impedes the ability of women to make choices for themselves and places no responsibility whatsoever on the other acting party in these situations, in other words, the men. Goes on to say, quote, the inability to access care for terminations, emergency contraceptions, and also ectopic pregnancies clearly shows a lack of education or awareness when it comes to reproductive health, end quote. Another OBGYN, Dr. Jen Gutter, had the following to say, quote, treating an ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion. I'm going to say it again. Treating an ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion. And it, in a way, it isn't because an ectopic pregnancy is never viable. There's no place for the embryo to grow. No place. Uh, Dr. Jen Gutter goes on to say, quote, the, governor, the government should not be legislating abortion and represent sites 156 is an example of why. The words he wrote are medically meaningless. So if this bill became, a law, became law, a zealous DA could interpret it well. I'm going to say that again. The words from a doctor, the words that Seitz wrote, quote, are medically meaningless. So if this bill became law, a zealous district attorney could interpret it at will, end quote. Okay. Um, Dr. Nicholas A. Christakis, who is a physician and sociologist at a little place called Yale University, called the bill, quote, sheer unscientific Non-medical bullshit. I'm going to repeat that one because that, I love that one. Dr. Nicholas A. Christakis, who is not only a sociologist but an actual physician from a little university called Yale, called Mr. Seitz's bill, quote, sheer, unscientific, non-medical bullshit, end quote. Love that one. Tori Schaefer is the Deputy Director for Policy and Campaigns at the American Civil Liberties Union of Missouri. She told, Tori told Insider that, quote, it's a, quote, direct attack on civil liberties and called the bill abhorrent, end quote. Schaefer went on to say, quote, Missouri lawmakers have to stop playing politics with reproductive health care, end quote. The Chief Medical Officer at Planned Parenthood in St. Louis, um, and Southwest Missouri also echoed what Schaefer had to say, Dr. Colleen McNicholas. Quote, HB 2810 is dangerous. This is what it looks like when uneducated politicians try and legislate our bodies. Banning any provision of care related to ectopic pregnancies will put people's lives at risk, end quote. Okay? Just when you think these politicians couldn't get any more idiotic, and they do, okay? So this is what's going on. These are some of the implications of the road decision that will be coming down. Um, we're going to talk about it more. We're not going to talk about it today, but I wanted to give you kind of an overview of what's happening because then we're going to be talking about the legal ramifications as well on another show. Okay, so now... 
uh, we're going to go straight ahead to our Jackass of the Week Award. And this week, it is a very special award. It just is. In fact, I'm not even calling it the Jackass of the Week Award anymore. This is, it, it, it's, it's morphed. It's evolved into something much larger because the level of jackassery out there has increased exponentially. I mean, bravo, jackassery has come into fruition. And this one, under our jackass report, the Jackass of the Week Award goes to the monster of Mar-a-Lago, Donald J. Trump. And this one has to do with the insanity. Uh, Apparently, this is an article here, Donald Trump was so angry when he was in office that a four, a few military officers, one of which was a rear, was a general, I believe, a rear admiral, um, you know, decorated whatever, criticized Trump after they retired, and Trump wanted to have them um, basically uh, reactivated back into service so he could court-martial them for disloyalty. Talk about a major abuse of power. And it was something that was so egregious that even ultra-far-right, alt-right monster, uh, former Secretary of Defense Mark Esper said, no, sir, you can't do that. And this is in Mark Esper's new book. Now, this is a piece that was written. Let me see now. The original piece ran in Talking Points Memo, but it was picked up by Yahoo News and many other mainstream publications. Excuse me. So here's what happened here. The, this was written by Josh, Josh Kovensky, and the headline is Esper, Mark Esper. Trump wanted to activate retired four-stars to court-martial them, the four-star generals, that is, to court-martial them for disloyalty. Secretary of Defense Mark Esper's new book recounts the episode. So Donald Trump was absolutely, you know, foaming at the mouth, rabid. He was demanding the military recall two retired four-star officers. And what was their crime? They criticized him after they retired. Uh, Now, talk about this. Trump and his acolytes are always whining, cancel culture. Wow, you're you're hurting our feelings. Wow, you cancel us. Please, cut out the bullshit. Seriously. You know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It's called the First Amendment. The monster of Mar-a-Lago doesn't have to like it. But he has no right to abuse his power when he was president to basically call somebody back up so he can bust them down and court-martial them and send them to prison for the rest of their days. And what was their crime? They criticized him after they retired. And the after-retirement part is absolutely important in this. You know, while you're in the military, there are some people they love being career military, military officers, whatever, to each his own. But the fact is this, while you're in the military, you have no rights. Let's be honest here. Including, you can't get involved with politics, you can't criticize the commander-in-chief because the president is also the commander-in-chief. So these two four-star officers did not do this, especially one in particular. They did after retirement. After retirement, it, they can have the same First Amendment rights as anyone else. So here's what happened. So 
According to ex-Secretary of Defense Mark Esper's memoir titled A Sacred Oath, Trump, quote, Trump demanded that former General Stanley McChrystal and former Navy Admiral William H. McRaven be recalled into active duty so that they could be court-martialed for, get this, criticizing the president, end quote. Now, especially in the instance, he really went after McRaven. Now, McRaven was a Navy SEAL. Besides being a Navy Admiral, he was a Navy SEAL, and he was part of the team that got bin Laden, and I think Saddam as well. So, you know, he was actively engaged. Now, this is coming from Donald Trump, who is the only thing he's been decorated for is immense cowardice. You know, Trump evaded the draft during Vietnam five times on alleged bone spurs that were diagnosed, I believe, by a podiatrist. The podiatrist, I don't even know if it's a real medical doctor, all right? But if that was the case, I and Trump keeps talking about it, I'd like to see the, the x-rays then to prove he really had bones first, okay? But anyway, here's what happened. And he, Trump kept saying it's disloyal to criticize him. Um, so here's, here's what happened here. Um, McRaven, especially, had been an outspoken critic of Trump during the administration. And he wrote in October 2019 op-ed in the New York Times New York Times, the, the U.S. was under attack by Trump. Um, quote, the president told Milley and me, and this is a quote that McRaven wrote apparently, quote, the president told Milley, in other words, General Milley and me, that he wanted to, oh, I'm sorry, let me take that back, my mistake. I'll admit when I made a mistake here. So this is not what McRaven wrote. This is what Esper wrote. So, the quote, the president told, in other words, General Milley and Mark Esper that, quote, he wanted <clears throat> to call them, McChrystal, which General McChrystal and Admiral McRaven, back to active duty and court-martial them for what they said. Okay? Now, let's break this down for a second. Talk about an immense abuse of presidential power. And, and it's clear, the monster of Mar-a-Lago, first of all, is, I'm going to say a bad word. I never use this word, but I'm going to drop the R-bomb. The monster of Mar-a-Lago, Donald J. Trump, in my opinion, is just frank, frankly effing retarded, okay, and spoiled rotten, and frankly kind of crazy. And so he can't tolerate any criticism. But this, the fact that a president, any president, was going to, to demand that these men that served in the military be, and retired be reactivated solely for the purpose court-martialing them and calling them disloyal so they'd be in prison the rest of their days, that is a huge, egregious abuse of power. Now, I'm glad Mark Esper wrote this book, but the fact is if Esper had really been legitimately um, a decent person, he would have blown the whistle when this happened. But he was too frightened, I suppose. This is a prime example of Trump abusing his power, and this is really another example demonstrating why the unitary executive model, which really postulates that a president has dictatorial power, has to go. Just has to. Because what's next? Someone like Trump kidnapping critics into the military? You know, forget the fact that Trump evaded service, as I said a few minutes ago, by alleging he had severe bone spurs. But there's no medical evidence other than a single report by a podiatrist. 
Again, where are the x-rays? So this is this vengeance, he's, you know, Trump's always talking about how tough he is. But the fact is, Chicken Little didn't serve. He just did it. <clears throat> Period. And here he's, and I'm not pro-military, but here he's attacking two men that have served their entire careers. So this single report, this instance, really demonstrates one thing very clearly. That Donald Trump not only views democracy as a, as a sick joke, but he sees himself as a dictator slash king, period. And I would say those of you that think you still want Donald Trump in office, think again. Because if he gets back in office, he never has any intention of leaving. January 6th was a prelude. People need to wake up. You know, Donald Trump is a dictator. And he's used to people caving in front of him because they want some of that money. But the fact is, this instance alone should have been grounds for impeachment. A president is, no one is above the law, and that includes the president, period. But we have a problem with the unitary executive model in this country. This was a model pushed by George W. Bush, and he was assisted by uh, one of the attorneys that, that wrote, helped write the torture memo, John Yu, who's with University of California Berkeley Law School. As far as I'm concerned, John Yu should be disbarred. But that's another story. So, again, um, this is what happened. And obviously they didn't go along with it. You know, General McChrystal and Admiral uh, McRaven, you know, once again, they remain free men, and uh, yeah, I think we need to look at this once again. We need to review how we view our presidents under this unitary executive model that, again, was really promoted by George W. Bush. Um, we have a presidency that has far too much power, and it is a danger to democracy itself, not to mention all the ceremonial crap we have attributed to the president as well whether it's, you know, here comes the tail to the chief, whatever. All that nonsense needs to go. The president's just an executive, not a monarch. And we need to realize this. You know, you don't have to work, you don't have to look any further than to look at parliament, either in Great Britain or in Canada, and you watch how these representatives literally go off on their prime minister. And nobody arrests them. Try and go off on a president here in the United States. You're going to be carted away to Gitmo, even though they have no right to do that to you. But that's the way we are. We are probably in, since I'd say ancient Greece, ancient Greece with uh, a side, we're the oldest democracy since ancient Greece when we exclude that, and yet we're the least democratic. It's a mockery. But for all those reasons, that's why Donald J. Trump, the monster of Mar-a-Lago, has received our Jackass of the Week Award once again for extreme jackassery and extreme cowardice that goes along with it. Seriously. And we're going to keep talking about issues of jackassery coming from especially the GOP, but don't worry, I will go off on some Democrats as well. All right? So, congratulations, Monster of Mar-a-Lago. You are our jackass of the week. Yahoo! 
boy. And, and you know, I, I really, I can't help it, all right, the level of contempt I feel, not only for Donald Trump, but for the entire GOP of Trump, is just, it, it's enormous. You know, they make a mockery of the idea of democracy itself. Okay, and I'm not going to make excuses for Republicans or conservatives when they make these bogus arguments, all right? I never liked Republicans, I'll admit it, um, but I didn't hate them. You know, my attitude was Republicans only care about rich people and corporations. Now I truly despise Republicans, though. Make no mistake about it. Okay, and what's happening with the road decision is a disgrace. Um, it is basically the court abdicating not only their responsibility, but abdicating their power and sending their power to state legislatures. The Basically, the extreme version of states' rights. Keep in mind, states' rights, that was the bromide used to justify slavery, to justify Jim Crow, to justify discrimination against women, the LGBTQ community, et cetera. States' rights is the idea that each state is its own little mini country and that they can discriminate with impunity. That's not what the Constitution says. And we'll talk about that again. Um, keep tuned in. If you want to read, I'm working on a piece now about Roe that will be published in BuzzFlash. I'll let you know when it publishes because there's a lot more information to, to go around. Um, again, with that, I say good night and God bless us. And honestly, I can't say God bless Donald Trump. I just can't. All right. I feel like saying God damn Donald Trump. Goodbye.